The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com, Pachak Supporter, to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now available in the iTunes App Store. Live trapped from inside a psychic box... It's Doctor Who Podshock. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I, you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. We blew that. <laughs> I'm the Doctor. And who are you? And who are you? Will it be me, Uncle? Yeah, it's going to be you. I only wish I could go in your place in this... Nah, I don't, because it's really gonna hurt. Uh, nephew will drain your mind and your soul from your body and leave your body empty. I'm scared. Well, I expect so, dear. But soon you'll have a new soul via Time Lord come in. Oh, it's the warning lights. I'm getting rid of those. They hey. never stop. And somebody's knocking. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. A box? Doctor, what is it? I've got mail. Time Lord emergency messaging system. In an emergency, we wrap up our thoughts in psychic containers and send them through time and space. Anyway, there's a living Time Lord still out there. And it's one of the good ones. You said there weren't any other Time Lords left. There are no Time Lords left anywhere in the universe. But the universe isn't where we're going. See that snake? The mark of the Corsair. Fantastic bloke. He had that snake as a tattoo in every regeneration. Didn't feel like himself unless he had the tattoo or herself a couple of times. Ooh, she was a bad girl. Where are we? Outside the universe, where we've never, ever been. Is that meant to be happening? But the power is draining. Everything's draining, but it can't. That's... It's impossible. What is that? It's as if the Matrix, the soul of the TARDIS, has just vanished. Where would it go? The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak, episode 246. 
This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode, as with our last episode, is uh, Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave, from across the pond. I'm out of my pirate's outfit now and uh, ready for my space wardrobe. Very good. And, uh, well, I, I know uh, last time Taras was able to join us, and um, I'm not sure if he's able to, uh, he, for this show... If he is, we'll we'll, we'll get him on. Um, I, I know he had mentioned he was only able to do one show. So, and if uh, Ken Deep or James Norton comes on board while we're recording, we'll we'll have them on. As always, a spoiler warning: if this episode of Doctor Who Pachak, we are reviewing the Doctor's Wife. So uh, obviously, if you have not seen it, uh, there will be spoilers. So something to be aware of and to take note of. I also want to remind everyone that next week, uh, you know, in addition to doing our live show reviewing The Rebel Flesh next Sunday, we also, the day before on Saturday, we're having our meetup on Second Life, and you're welcome to join us there. It's free of charge. All you need is the Second Life software, which is also free, and a broadband connection to the Internet, and you'll get there. And uh, as I was, I sort of was getting to this on our last episode, and I think we got sidetracked. Uh, I need to confirm with Victor whether or not he's doing the TARDIS tours, but usually he does. And uh, last time we did some judging of different TARDISes that they had there, and that's kind of kind of appropriate to uh to today's view episode but uh what you don't what if you don't know what tardis tours are it's just a opportunity to see other explore other places in second life which is a virtual 3d environment that are doctor who themed we have we hold the meetup in one area called katrina which is um the doctor who uh, exhibition it used to be called the doctor who experience and I, I say that only because I think on our website we it probably might still say experience on it, so just uh, know that it, it's been changed again. And um, also, if you go to our website, you'll get the full details. And there's also an intro video that Victor did that uh, gives you the rundown on, on um, you know, on, on joining us and and using Second Life. So I hope to see you there. It's at 1 p.m. Second Life time, which is 1 p.m. Pacific time in the U.S., which is 4 p.m. Eastern, and um, I think that's 9 p.m. in the U.K., Dave? That's correct, yes. Okay. And then it usually ends with a disco at the end of the evening as well. Yes, yes. So there's an aftershock party, usually after... Uh, well, there's a after the TARDIS tours, there's the main party in Katrina, and then after that, there's usually an aftershock party for those um, in, um, let's say, on, on the West Coast or in Hawaii that, for you know, would have been too early for them otherwise. So we're here for um, the, uh, the Doctor's Wife, which, once again, just like the Doctor's Daughter, is not exactly, um, not to be taken exactly literally, as far as the title goes. So I, I know... Um, there was some fan reaction when the t- episode titles first came out, but I, I knew that you know obviously they weren't going to give away too much in the title, and especially with uh, all this mystery about um, River Song, some people are trying to connect that to that, and we, we still uh, that River Song mystery still continues, and we'll be res- we'll learn who she is later on in this series or the second half of the series perhaps. So uh, the second, uh, <laughs> the Doctor's Wife is directed by Richard Clark and uh, written by a unknown science fiction writer, Neil. No, nah, I'm only kidding. 
<laughs> Neil Gaiman, who uh, trouble for that. <laughs> some obscure unknown writer they dug up somewhere, no one ever heard of, called Neil Gaiman, who actually is uh, is very well known, and there's been a lot of anticipation for this episode, and uh, you know, a lot of people were going into this whether you know, wondering whether or not it was going to live up to those expectations, or I don't want to say hype because they weren't really hyping this episode so much, but there was, I guess, some expectations on how good it's going to be, or and and um, I, I think it probably lived up to it. I, I think it's um, it's it's great storytelling. But before I get into that, let's just run down some of the cast here. Uh, Idris, who's uh, played by Saran Jones, uh, the voice of House is uh, Michael Sheen. And uh, the nephew, who's an Ood here, is Paul Casey, who we interviewed not long ago in February in Los Angeles on Doctor Who Podshock. So you can check that out. I don't remember the episode number offhand, but uh, it's our live show in, from Gallifrey One in Los Angeles. So we interviewed Paul Casey there. So uh, the uncle is Adrian Schiller, and auntie is uh, Liz- Elizabeth Barrington. The story starts off with a the doctor getting some mail. <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> <laughs> it delivered in a little psychic box, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't know how efficient that is. And in the past, we've seen the doctor getting calls from Gallifrey, and it's usually uh, via the TARDIS console. Yeah, that's like a you know we, we never really seen the psychic box before being used, but. Uh, something new they introduced here. I, I, again, I don't know how efficient that's... It's sort of like carrier pigeon, so I don't know how efficient that is to be used, uh, but if it, you know, it, it works in this story, and it kind of... I, I guess if you used another way, if it was just coming in through the console, you wouldn't be able to tell the whole story, I guess, uh, or at least it would have to be rewritten in a different way because we, we see the we see other boxes later on in the story. Uh, yeah, and we're being reminded in text by Darth and the Seventh Doctor that it's not new. It was used as a device in the war games. Was it? The psycho box? Yeah, well, yeah, the, the Doctor receives the thing to tell him to go to, the go to Gallifrey. Was it via a, a psycho box? I think so. I, um, I'm just going on what I'm reading in the text at the moment, but... These are reliable guys who know what they're talking about. Okay, no, I, I'm just trying to jog my own memory here. Uh, in the same scene where where the doctor, you know, reads his mail, in a sense, he's uh, he, he speaks of a another time lord with um, with a tattoo, and uh, and I guess here we get some sort of confirmation that I guess they can regenerate and change sex during a regeneration, which. Um, I don't have a, a a problem with that per se. The only thing I my thing with Doctor Who and and um, what the Doctor can do and, and what the TARDIS can do and what the sonic screwdriver can do is that they just needs to have some sort of boundaries or limitations. And I always thought, well, and and I felt the same thing when uh, the Ninth Doctor was about to regenerate and he was telling Rose, you know, he could have two heads or no heads or whatever. And I just thought that was a little silly. And I thought he was just being silly and all that. And I just think that, uh, you know, you can regenerate into anything, you know, but they, they should have some sort of gu- some sort of limitations or some sort of, um, I don't know, something that stays the same. And I figured, well, sex could be the thing that just stays the same. Everything else can change. Um, 
not that I, again maybe sex can change but there should be just something that is a limiting factor so that you know you don't regenerate into a dog or uh, i don't know i don't it's just one of those things even the sonic screwdriver i think exceeds its limitations many times and it's you it becomes too magical and i i that's just um Something that I, I always feel that because Doctor Who, ha- Doctor Who in itself is such a magical format where you can go anytime, anywhere via the TARDIS, because of that, it's so open ended that there should be other limitations to sort of balance things out, you know, and like having 12 regenerations or have, I mean, obviously, uh, then that needs to be broken because the show <laughs> would need to continue on. Uh, it's not like after he uses up his, his regenerations, the show comes so close, but just stuff like that. Just having those limitations set in place kind of balances out the, the the magical aspects of the rest of the show. So um, I, I, again, I'm just going off on, on a tangent here. Uh, Let me just say that in text they put uh, the link from the uh, wiki page and uh, the page is TARDISWiki.com um, oh, yeah, I was, Hypercube. I, I, didn't, I wasn't questioning them. I was just Again, trying to jog my own memory. You know. There's a link directly to the picture of the second Doctor holding one. Okay, fair enough. I, 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 again, I'm just trying to recall it. It's, uh, it passed me by, I must admit. So uh, well, we have people in the room. That's why we do. Well, that's show. that's what's great about the chat. And we should remind people that when we do the live shows, uh, not only can you call in, but if you're if you sign into Talkshoe, which is at talkshoe.com, you can join in on the live chat that goes on during the show. And uh, Graham is usually good when Graham's on the show. He usually keeps a good eye on the on the chat room here, so that you know, because I'm looking at many things at once when I'm doing this show, so it's kind of hard to monitor everything. So I, I appreciate uh, Dave at, right now. You know, keeping an eye on the chat room. Uh, yep, certainly am. Technically, uh, I, I, again, I think this episode is done very well. Uh, my only uh, small gripe. On, on a technical aspect would be when um, Idris, uh, Auntie, and Uncle meet the Doctor and company for the first time when after they land on this uh, burp bubble, the, the bubble universe, if you will, the, the camera kind of switches over to a cinema verte handheld style and it, it's, you start to feel a little seasick and, and something I didn't feel during uh, the previous episode, which uh, you would expect, but it just... Sometimes when um, when they do those uh, handheld camera shots, they, they kind of um, deliberately move the camera more so to emphasize that motion or whatever. And um, I don't know, perhaps this was uh, deliberate. I mean, it, it wasn't too off-putting. It just it just seemed to, um, it, and, and maybe it was kind of deliberate in the storytelling process of doing that because you have these patchwork people coming in and um, it kind of disrupts the, the flow of things and, and you, it puts you off balance and, and you're trying to figure out when watching this on the first time what's going on and who are these people and um, and um, so it might be just part of the process. Uh, again, just a nitpick there. Uh, some interesting things, though, uh, as, as we come to learn. It, it, we, we, we did give the spoiler warning, right, at the head of this episode, so <laughs> all yeah. spoilers are... Uh, straight after the spoiler clip, yes. we gave the spoiler warning. So uh, 
here we, we learn a little bit more about the Doctor and the TARDIS. And when the Doctor first uh, encounters the TARDIS and the TARDIS first encounters the Doctor. And it, I, I thought that was interesting to learn. And, and again, it doesn't give too much away because I, that's another thing about Doctor Who is that I enjoy not knowing everything and, and keeping that mystery. It's Doctor Who, you know, with that question mark, though J&T insists on going further with that question mark but it's it's that it sort of implies there's a question mark after who so you, but you, we, we did hear the nice piece that um, they'd been traveling together for 700 years which was nice um uh, she, the the TARDIS says that yes and since we know the doctor's over 900 we can assume he was 200 when he left Gallifrey so I mean there's well, lots of yeah. very things you can infer as well as what they said. There's things you can infer from the statements. Well, we learned that the Doctor, when he first encounters the TARDIS, the first thing he says to the TARDIS is, is that uh, it's the most beautiful thing he's ever known. So it's it's fun imagining the first Doctor saying that out loud. <laughs> Not that it's it breaks character. It's just, it's just interesting, you know, having that William Hartnell um, first Doctor image saying that. Uh, it's it's great to see the TARDIS used as a character. And speaking of the first Doctor, that goes back to the first series, the first season. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about the, the, the very first 1963 um, series, uh, which um, the, the, I think it's the Edge of Destruction, which has uh, the TARDIS takes a, a a part in the story in a sense. And, and it's more, a bit of a spoiler alert there. But it, it goes back, you know, it's not a new concept. And it's something that, over time during Doctor Who's, uh, you know, 40-some-odd years, 47, 48 years now, that it it seems to have gotten, had to been forgotten at times, you know, where it's, you know, the Doctor always refers to it as a she or whatever, but it, it's it's not really used as a character until more recently, in more recent years. Uh, I, I think that, that was brought back, and I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, and, and speaking of... You know, going back to the, you know, again, as a reminder to the early days, the whole junkyard bubble there is very yeah. much a reminder of Totter's Lane, the junkyard where it all began. So, and that's where we encounter this car- this entity known as House, which is, um, I think it's a, a hospital show on, on the U.S. channel, but that's, that's I think, has nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> so who or what is House? And again, do we really need to know? And I, I, I think we kind of can just kind of take it that it's some sort of entity, and um, its history and whatever doesn't really apply so much to the story. So, but it's it's I think it works. I had mentioned that the the, the other characters, Auntie and Uncle, are sort of patchwork people that the house is keeping alive using various different parts of um, I guess people that that he that the house brings to this bubble universe. Though Idris herself doesn't seem, she seems to be complete, you know, as a, physically as as a person. So maybe she's a, a later arrival. I'm assuming. Well, isn't she the one where he says their eyes are twenty years younger? No, that's the oh, that's the uncle. The, the uncle. It was right, okay, and he has two left feet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's uh, all this. 
interesting stuff, especially for longtime Doctor Who fans. Uh, you know, that stuff that we've been pining for, like seeing more of the TARDIS we get to see in this episode. Uh, we see the TARDIS corridors, even though uh, it's it's during when the house has taken over the, 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 the TARDIS vehicle, I should say, because the, the, the TARDIS character itself is now in, embodied in Idris. So, but the, the TARDIS vehicle separating from the character is, uh, we see more of it, even though it's, it's just car- corridors. Uh, and, and it's lit in a dark, gloomy way because um, that's the, the way, uh, you know, the, even the, the control room is lit that way when House has taken over it. So uh, it be interesting to see if we see more of these corridors in the future, especially now that they, you know, if, if now that they constructed that part of, you know, these corridors, if they, you know, hopefully if they can store them and, and use it again for future episodes, it would be kind of cool. So it's always good I to have... Think they'd be cer- I would think they'd be certainly digitized and used in any future games because there seems to be a lot happening on the game front. Oh, yeah. Apparently, n- not only the games that are already in line, but there's supposed to be another game project that's not even being talked about at the moment that is yet to come. So, I mean, that's why I think they were they chose a very regular shape and pattern, a formalized shape to those it, it's, almost honeycomb yeah. shaped again, didn't they? For- yeah, it, it, and, and they can be used in any which way so you don't have to worry about, you know, you can have those doors open to anything, sort of like uh, the corridors of the Enterprise sets, you know, you know mm. they make them very similar so that they can rearrange them and um, be reused and they're not too, you know, restricted on, you know, this, this is this or this is that. It could be multi-purposed. Uh, but speaking of those corridors, it's, those are very interesting scenes uh, between Amy and Rory when they were being you know, the, the heads were being messed up with, you know, by the the house was messing with them. I should say, uh, I thought those uh, were interesting scenes, and I th- I thought Rory really comes into another dimension, you know, where he's not so, um, uh, you know, he, he he's a bit aggressive here and hostile to Amy, which is uh, you know something that we have again this isn't the real Rory or this is something that is being planted into uh, Amy's head but it's still interesting to see and he got the beard he was asking for in the last episode oh (laughs) yeah yeah um, so lots of interesting things here. I, when we saw, uh, you know, it's, it's been a couple of years now since they put out that Blue Peter competition for uh, a TARDIS um, console design. And we were all thinking that it was going to be what we saw in the lodger and all that. And uh, But if you go back to what that original contest was, it was sort of a patchwork pack. Again, I don't mean to overuse that word, but uh, if you go back to the original contest, they said to use just like regular household items and stuff to kind of patch together a TARDIS control console, and and that's what we got. And that's when when that scene was coming, and we saw that you know the Doctor was going to build a TARDIS. I'm like, ah, now we're finally going to get to see that. And then if you see Doctor Who Confidential, it was that was proven to be correct. That's what they used. So uh, and and that. Uh, control room, that little mini thing they, uh, t- mini TARDIS if you will that they build is uh, very uh, retro looking so I, I thought that was pretty cool the pull to open reference that Idris makes or the TARDIS makes um, I, I guess we'll call it Idris while you know we um, just to you know to separate her from the physical mm-hmm. TARDIS 
yeah. you know, that pull to open, I always, I never thought that to be wrong. That the I, I always thought that was to pull open to get the little phone box, you know. So that, that sign, I didn't, you know, I always thought that, that you do pull it to open to get to the little phone that's in there. And that's what that was meant, you know, so you can call for for police assistance. I never thought the pull to open meant for the doors. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of... I think that's what what many people would think, but uh, I'm sure uh, one of the other callers, when they come on, will be able to uh, explain that the doors can actually open both ways and have done in the past. Mm -hmm. Again, just like last episode, there are many uh, lighthearted moments, humorous moments, um, but it it was also balanced by more dramatic moments as well, you know, where the, the, the doctor gets emotional and, um, but there's lots of, um, humorous moments as well as, you know, the references to the bunk beds and, um, <laughs> rooms being, you know, the, the whole thing about rooms being deleted. Uh, that's a nice, uh, nice to use to, to, for that concept to be used again. I mean, I, if, if I think it goes back to, I think it was maybe first used with Romano's room and, um, you know, again, a fourth doctor story. So it's good to yeah. see that these concepts are still being um, used and having the console, the control rooms being archived in the TARDIS and, and still being available. And if that's the case, I, I know it, it would have been cool. I, I realized the budget constraints and all that, but it would have been cool maybe if um, maybe on his on his way to that control room, Rory opened up another door and we saw maybe like the 14th season control room, you know, that's just sort of, he doesn't walk into it, but you kind of just see it behind the door, you know, open the doors and uh, I don't well, know, but, but there would be passcode. Con- they would have to have a passcode yeah. for it, but I don't know. It would just be nice yeah. to have just a little something, you know, if uh, last episode on Dr. Punchak, Dave, you had uh, made a reference to um, a Star Trek next generation, uh, episode. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it was that. And uh, there, there was also one of those Star Trek Next Generation episodes. They, they, uh, they rebuilt the original TARDIS, uh, the, the original bridge of the original Enterprise, and used that and kind of tying it back to the original series. So, um, well, they did that for Scotty. In yeah, the, uh, that's what I'm talking the, about. The, that's that's oh, that's that. the one that I'm talking about exactly. With no blooming A B R C on there. <laughs> so it, it would have been cool just to get a glimpse of one of the uh, you know original Taurus control rooms, uh, if if not just in the background. But I understand that you know there's only so much they can do here, and it was good just to see the ninth and tenth Doctors control room though it could be argued that that control room started with the eighth doctor at some point because um if you go back to rose you know the doctor seems to you know and and we could not to get too much in a rat hole here on a sidetrack but uh you could argue that the doctor had just regenerated in that episode because he was just you know he seemed to be surprised when he saw himself in the mirror and but that's another thing <laughs> i'm just saying that if he just freshly regenerated maybe after the time war or whatever it, th- that control room could have actually started with uh, at some point in the eighth unseen you know some unseen story with the eighth doctor all right mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm getting too far into a rat hole here so let's get back to the um the doctor's wife uh i well, uh, go ahead I was going to say, there's, there's, there's lots of things here. I mean, I, I was slightly unnerved at the start of it because the lady uh, who uh, actually played the Idris, the doctor's wife, Suran Jones, who actually uh, was born uh, only about a few miles from where I live in Chalitzen Oldham, but um, 
uh, I remember her from that awful, awful Sarah Jane Adventures, Mona Lisa's Revenge. And I'm not saying that the lady didn't impress me as an actor, but it was the way they'd had her portray, you know, a Cockney um, Mona Lisa. Uh, so that was sort of influencing my opinion at the beginning. So I was a little unnerved at the beginning of the story, but I, I felt this story grow and grow on me, and the more that things were uh, divulged about uh, the past of the, the TARDIS, and, and done, uh, as I'm sure other callers will say, you know, in nice little dribs and drabs, it wasn't overlabored, but there's also other things that you can extrapolate or um, work out from those little facts. I mean, I mean, like the one I mentioned that um, they'd been travelling together for 700 years. Mm -hmm. so you can do some deductions from that. Um, we had the... It was. I was slightly disappointed that Neil Gaiman had only uh, shown us some corridors for... Uh, and we didn't see any new rooms. We didn't see the, the library or anything. But um, basically, we've also got to assume that um, the Doctor had had sent them off on a bit of a fool's errand, as it were, to, to get them out of the way, or into, out of harm's way, should I say, into the safety, he thought, of the TARDIS. Uh, of course, that that turned out to be uh, quite an ordeal uh, f for the two of them. Um, I, I, one of the best parts I liked about it was um, uh, the one scene where Amy seems to be in the dark, but Rory isn't, and then he goes ahead and you hear a knock, and uh, she says, are you all right? And he says, yeah, I'm okay. Just knock my head. And then she walks past his um, his body, you know, limp mm -hmm. on the floor, as it were. Yeah. And then in true, <laughs> in true House of Horrors style, she puts her hand forward and feels the wet spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> a very <laughs> oud experience. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so that was rather nice. And uh, Martin Sheen, I didn't recognise his voice at all. I mean, they've done it so differently. He's very well known here in the UK. Uh, he was, uh, he played uh, in Damn United, where he played uh, the football manager. He, he's play, he played uh, in the Nixon film, um, you know, where he played David Frost, who interviewed mm -hmm. Nixon. He's played um, um, the Prime Minister in um, uh, different films. He's a really brilliant character actor. In fact, I think he would make a brilliant doctor. But uh, that 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 was good. There were lots of other things. Uh, when you said about the uh, the consoles, and she said, I've got about 30 of them stored now. He said, well, I've only changed the desktop 12 times. <laughs> and, and she's already got four uh, future ones. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. From, uh, yeah, well, if, as we know from Rose and Bad Wolf, when Rose actually put you know, absorbed the uh, the essence of mm -hmm. the uh, TARDIS, she could see all of time and space. So we have to assume that the Matrix has access to that information as well. So presumably, you know, she knows about these future things before he does. But it was a lovely switcheroo, the fact that, you know, here we think that the, the Doctor, uh, this, this um, you know... Uh, Disillusion with Gallifrey, you know, goes off for seeking adventure and so on. Uh, and in actual fact, uh, he thought he chose her, but she'd left the door unlocked and she chose him. And 
he might give the TARDIS back, but she wasn't going to give him back. That was all lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah, I, I think explanation. That, that works very Sorry. well. Because you would think that maybe, the, the, in their wisdom, the Time Lords would put some sort of fail-safe that if someone was to seal a TARDIS, it would come back to them, sort of like Lojack in, in the U.S. or whatever, you know, that, that they would somehow have... Uh, but this TARDIS wanted to go off and explore as well. So it sort of kind of makes sense that... and. and just their relationship throughout the years that how well they sort of work together and just you know the way the doctor said to idris you know that i you know you've never i am paraphrasing here you, you've never you've never taken me you know to the right place whatever or where i wanted to go but no but i've taken you where you needed to go or that type of stuff i think worked very well yeah well one one I'm going to get slayed for this, but one thought that just came into my mind is um, if you think to to Avatar, the uh, the movie, where, I haven't uh, seen it. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> all right, well, well, where they 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 have these creatures that they fly on the backs of, mm-hmm. and they have this sort of neural network linked with them through the the thing in their hair, and basically, you know, they say that the rider and the and the creature choose each other, and they have a bond. Uh, and obviously the Doctor's Bond, and it's been referred to obviously in, uh, I think it was in School Reunion where uh, where Sarah Jane Smith and uh, uh, Billy, uh, not Billy Piper, and Rose are talking and say, does he still stroke the TARDIS? You know, Do you two want to be alone? And things like that. So all these things were great. Uh, and one thing, we ought to get to the, the people in the room, but the other last thing I would say is that um, for new viewers of the show, it also perhaps explains something for them that may have been something that they were scratching their head over, that sometimes the Doctor goes where he says he's going, and other times he seems to turn up somewhere randomly, yeah. and it's not in his control. Well, this is quite neatly uh, given that, because you know he, he says to her, well, while well, we can talk, you, you know, you never go where I want you to go. And he, she says, well, no, but I'll take you where you need to go. Uh, so that has resolved uh, our neatly dealt with that. And, and uh, uh, I think I, uh, that's all I'll say, because other people in the room yeah. will have lots of other little things that were brought about, which make this, for many longstanding Who fans, um, a really great story. And I don't think Mike Mandelthor is on audio, but um, his one comment was that... Um, you know, this is a story really for the fans where other stories have been to get people on board. Um, I don't know, the 11th hour or whatever, where you know, you're leading people into the story. This is one for fans to sort of uh, giggle and gloat over things. And also there was the very sad moment at the end and uh, one or two stoic members of certain podcasts have been known to shed a tear over that little scene. Um, mm-hmm. along with the doctor, but um, well, maybe it's time to. Yeah, I should remind people to call in. You can call seven two four 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 seven four 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 during the live show. Uh, once this is recorded and goes out on our feed, we won't still be here. But during our live show, that's the number to call. And the call ID number is two three three five eight. So you, you need to call that number and then punch in two three three five eight. Once again, the number is seven two four 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 seven four four four. And we're going to play. And if I can, ju- sure. Sorry, I just give my rating. Sorry, about four and a half out of five for me. Okay. All right. I was I was, well, was going to save that for for later, but that's fine. Okay. Can you get a message to Amy? Getting a message. 
pretty. Don't worry. Telepathic messaging. No, that's worrying. You have to go to the old control room. I'll send you the pass key when you get there. I directed him to one of the old control rooms. There aren't any old control rooms. Oh. I archived them. Got about 30 now. But I've only changed the desktop. What, a dozen times? So far, yes. You can't archive something that hasn't happened yet. You can't? You're doing it, you sexy thing. This is, well, she's my target. Except she's a woman. She's a woman, and she's my target. Did you wish really hard? Shut up, not like that. Hello, I'm sexy. Oh, you still shut up. Doctor, why shouldn't I just kill you now? I can kill you just as easily here as anywhere. Fear me, I've killed hundreds of Time Lords. Fear me, I've killed all of them. It's never enough. You force a TARDIS into a body so she'd burn out safely a very long way away from this control room. Her flesh body can't hold the TARDIS matrix and live. Look at her body house. And you think I should mourn her? No. I think you should be very, very careful about what you let back into this control room. You took her from her home. And now she's back in the box again. And she's free. Look at my girl. Look at her go. Finish him off, girl. Doctor, are you there? It's so very dark in here. I'm here. I've been looking for a word. A big, complicated word, but so sad. I found it now. Sad. It's sad when it's over. I'll always be here. But this is when we talked. And now even that has come to an end. There's something I didn't get to say to you. Goodbye. No. I just wanted to say. Hello, Doctor. It's so very, very nice to meet you. I should thank Dave once again for preparing those clips. Done very well. Excellent, Dave. Thank you once again. Cheers. Thank you. And uh, Seven Doctor's just put in text um, that bits of goodbye reminded him of Astrid's last scene in The Voyage of the Dam. Hmm. Yes. Which, uh... Astrid is a um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's spelled differently. Tardis. You can. Um, oh, that's true. Yes, it's an anagram. Anagram. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, Idris is a sort of Idris is a sort of a Tardis like as well, even though it's not an, an anagram. Uh, so we could. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I'm in, I'm in trouble with Dar for mentioning Voyage of the Damned, which neither I nor he like. But the, the, I was just reading, I was doing my job as a co-host, reading <laughs> yes. out what was in the text. Yes. 
so once again, we're going to be taking Podshock supporting subscribers first, and uh, you can learn how to become a Podshock supporting subscriber by going to either Podshock.net or GallifreyNBC.org, and there's a banner there on the top of the page, and by uh, you can learn how to become one. These live shows on you know over the net that we're doing right now are made possible in part by supporting subscribers, and we can only bring you this show uh, with your support from um, from our listeners. So we are always. Um, grateful tremendously grateful for that and um so again a big thank you if you are already a, a supporter and um and if you're not we hope you become one and go to either arttrap.com or podshock.net or to gallifrenemacy.org and you can learn how to become one it's really makes a tremendous difference so um you can call in right now to our live show it's 724-444-7444 caller Call ID number is 23358. We have Kobo4747 on the show once again. Welcome back. Hey, Lewis. Hey, all. How are you uh, doing? This is probably my favorite episode of the new series, and probably what, the third favorite episode of all time. So you really enjoyed this one. This makes up for the last one, then, I hope for you. Yeah, yeah. It totally did. And on the back of this episode, Matt Smith became my favorite doctor. Really? So you had mentioned yeah. that you started with the last week, well, not last week, last episode, you had mentioned that you had started with the Russell T. Davies era. So you started with Christopher Eccleston, yeah. right? Have you had a chance to see the other doctors? Uh, have you seen any since that time? Since the in the past six uh, years, have you gone back and watched any of the older stories? I've tried to see at least a few episodes mm-hmm. from each doctor. Okay, especially on Netflix. You know, there are a lot of them available to watch instantly via Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Right. There are. Do you feel do you feel sort of like this story sort of ties it all together? Oh yeah, and the confidential was nice. How it went back and played all the old clips referencing the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I thought the confidential was really it just added. To yeah, the I I really enjoyed the confidential. I, I know we're not here to review the confidential, which is a sort of for those that don't know, the Doctor Who confidential is sort of a making of documentary that coincides, runs parallel to each new episode. Every new episode of Doctor Who Confidential is sort of a making of that particular Doctor Who episode of that week. So uh, this week's was called Bigger on the Inside, and uh, they had a lot of clips that they tied into the, you know, the older series and um, from all various previous doctors on you know and their relationship with the TARDIS and talking about the TARDIS and uh, you know so it was good having that I, I enjoyed that my favorite moment was when House was playing with Amy's head and all the writing on the wall was yeah was the most intense moment of the whole episode and it was just really really awesome well, here's someone someone that she loves so much and and is now betraying her on the walls of the TARDIS and this deep hatred that, you know, this uh, figment of um, Rory is, you know, towards Amy. 
It was interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah, we, we've and, got to also assume that, as well, that although we, we see through Amy's eyes that Rory's experiencing those, for all we know, in another part of the TARDIS, Rory was having a similar, you know... Uh, could be, yeah. He's been, yeah, he, he could be walking in down the corridor and seeing the Doctor and Amy together because that's one of his fears. Mm-hmm. We, we don't really know what... What he's saying. You know, whether he was actually his experience. experiencing those yeah. or some Good other point. experience. Yeah. That's an interesting theory. I never thought of it like that. But another thing that I've noticed this season, since Rory and Amy are together, I feel like they've both grown as characters more so than mm-hmm. any other companions. Definitely. I didn't really see much growth in any of the other companions. Like, yeah, no, I, 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 I think so as well. You know that that we're seeing them grow together, which I like. Yeah, and of course we're seeing a male companion now, which was often the case in the past. So um, for for a lot of people who've only started watching from, as you said, the Ninth Doctor, uh, it's probably quite a change of dynamic to have a, you know, the male companion. I know he's been in it for some time now, but um, it, it's something that that longer time fans were pressing for for. Well, since it came back, really. Yeah, yeah. I really understand why I love this episode so much. You really have to know something about me. And why I got into Doctor Who was five, six years ago. I was just looking for stuff to listen to because I'm in a wheelchair and my first experience with the doctor was via Radio 7 and one of Paul McGann's mm-hmm. adventures. Sure. Oh, they were excellent, yeah. I know everybody gets a lot of flag for the 96 movie, which was horrible. But it was my first doctor, so I will always love him because of the big finish stuff. Well, th- those yeah, some of those chimes of midnight and spare parts. Yeah, and and those radio series that uh, that that he did, you know, back then were were, were great. You know, I mean, they were big finish slash you know on BBC um, Radio Seven, I think it was uh, some great adventures there. Yeah. It's now changed its name to uh, Radio Four Extra. So if you find it, you can't see the channel. It's Radio Four Extra, and there are some Doctor Who adventures coming up. I think. In actual fact, uh, Stephen Moffat has been tweeting about it today. I know I love yes. Radio 4 Extra. Just a minute and everything else. I mean, ever since my life got bad, it's not just Doctor Who that saved my life, but Doctor Who's the main part of it. And I just loved David Tennant. And this episode, like, surprised me in the fact that it made me love... Matt Smith, even more. Yeah, you can see um, in, in Matt Smith's portrayal, you know, you can see many, I don't know, it's just one of these things that you do as a Doctor Who fan. Sometimes you can see other Doctors within him. And um, and I, I think I, I saw some glimpses of uh, the 10th Doctor in him as well in the story. I think that might have been why I liked 
this particular story so much and because of what was going on around me at the time when I was watch watching this because being disabled I have no specific caretaker on Saturdays mm-hmm. anymore and um the caretaker I had this past Saturday was one of my least favorite people and I could just tune into Doctor Who and like tune out of the rest of the world escape. yeah yeah exactly and that's invaluable I mean it really is one well, of the primary methods I use for escape yeah and that's one of one of the things I love about Podshock as well is you can provide more of that well thank you thank you I mean it, I mean I think I think we all can speak to that where that's what one of the things we enjoy so much about Doctor Who is that we can for either 25 minutes or 45 minutes depending on which type of episode you're watching you can just leave this earth and leave this time and just go off on an adventure and forget about the rest of your worries beyond you know I, I think it's true escapism really and I love seeing more of the tortoise yes yeah same here even though I would have loved to have seen the Doctor study like we did in the adventure games, why didn't they build that set <laughs> well, at the same time? Everything comes down to uh, money and time, though. Uh, it, but it was good to see uh, the you know the previous control room again, and we did see a glimpse of it in the trailer for the series. So it made everyone start thinking, oh, or, you know, is is the tenth Doctor coming back? Or you know, there were all this wild speculation of what was going on. So uh, that little mystery is now solved. Quick question: Did the control room change at all during um, Tom Baker's? Well, yeah, he had it did, and 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 once one particular year, and I made a mention of it, uh, I think early in the show, uh, season fourteen, they used a a completely different control room, which was a uh, like a a wooden um, motif, yeah, uh, bra- wooden and brass, wasn't it? Yeah, like a, which a Victorian, uh, which I think the doctor said it was his second secondary control room or something of, uh, to that effect. And yes, secondary control room, yeah. So uh, it was interesting then, because uh, seeing that the TARDIS had more than one control room, you know, and uh, and again, to make another comparison to, uh, I don't mean to, I know we've done this a few times already, to, uh, to Star Trek was that Star Trek had a, a secondary bridge as well, so it's sort of um, not that it has, there's any correlation there, but it's it's just, it's always good to learn a little bit more about the TARDIS. So, why do you think that Tom Baker TARDIS control room changed if he's the same doctor and has the same personality? Because the control rooms, according to Edgar's, reflect the doctor's... Yeah, well, it it, it does reflect the doctor to some point, but it also reflects the, the current producer as well. So, Tom Baker's yeah. control room changed when his producers changed as well. So, the, uh, it, it was updated when, like, for instance, like when John Nathan Turner came on board as producer, the uh, it, it was updated a little bit then, and the, the console itself stayed the same until later on during uh, the 20th anniversary during Peter Davison's era, they updated that. But it's um 
yeah, it, it, it has changed. And uh, the the one thing I did like of what John Nathan Turner did was give some unity to uh, to the rest of the the um, the TARDIS, where you see columns and the round rolls and all that. Where previously, before that, which uh, you saw on the Confidential and. I think it's um, the, the invasion of time, whatever. Where they they actually use like a a, a, um, a an old hospital, or whatever, and and their brickwork and all that, and it it doesn't look very TARDIS like. No, no. Uh, but again, with, with with this old fashioned wood one, wasn't that about the time of Talons uh, of Wai Chang and the, the Doctor wearing a deerstalker and the sort of semi Sherlocky Holmes type of feel to things. I may, get, may have got my seasons wrong, but uh, and of course that was the the TARDIS console that uh, Sarah Jane Smith uh, leaves uh, the Doctor on. Yeah, Croydon. Yeah, it's not Croydon. It, it's it, where we bid farewell to Sarah Jane Smith, and uh, and Leela comes on board. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, Kobo, would you like to give? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to give it five out of five TARDIS groans. Definitely five out of five. All right. Um, like I said, best episode since um of uh, Forest of the Dead or Silence of the Library. Very good. All right. Well done. All right. Well, thanks again for calling, and um, hopefully, uh, maybe next week you can join us again. Yeah. The only what. The only water in the forest is the stream. Yes. Or is it the river? The river. The river. All right. Well, thanks once again. And we're uh, next one up is um, a big mystery to us, mystery presenter. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Lewis. Long time. Yeah. No talk. Hello, Lewis. <laughs> yeah. How you been? Um, one thing I have to the first thing I have to say is when you saw the um, the tent. The ninth and tenth doctors control room. I kind of jumped like with excitement just being able to see it. Um, also, I think they probably used it because if it's already set, still set up, it was probably cheaper to use. Well, they had that set set. They had that set established, and uh, during the if you see in the confidential, yeah. the actors will say that they had to pass that to get to the, the to the new control room. So they were wondering why they were keeping it around. So I guess now they can finally. Uh, well, I, I guess they did uh, move that set out because isn't that part of the Doctor Who experience now? Um, in in um, well, the, well, the thing was again, wasn't it that this episode apparently was going to be where the Lodger episode would have been? So. Whether they kept it on longer or whether they actually filmed those sequences out of order, you know the sequences yeah. that took place in that console. Maybe they did those on different weeks than when they filmed the rest of the episode. Yeah, I'm assuming that this, this was shot. The experience. This this was. I'm assuming this was shot probably uh, uh, several. You know, well, it's May now, so I would say you know several months ago. Right. Um, also, the other bit I liked in the episodes was where the auntie and uncle were dying. Especially, I liked the bit where uncle gets up and says, I feel fine, and then claps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, again, I think um, uh, Dave pointed out how good of an actor Michael Sheen is, and I, I think um, that that is represented there because it, it just works so well. I feel fine, and then he just collapsed. Yeah. 
It, it sort of reminds it was, me of... It was, it was Adrian Schiller who played the uncle. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, am I getting my um, actors yeah. mixed up? It's Michael Sheen who did the, 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 the voice. voice. Yeah. Adrian Schiller played the uncle. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting my... Casey, of course, played the nephew, but he, he's, you know, if you want an alien, you call Paul Casey. Yeah. My mistake, my bad. Also, one thing, like, I think, um, when they were going to the, in the charges when House was in there, I think, like, the way you saw his pop House playing with the charges corridors and that, um, Poppy's, like, when they show you inside again if they have to it'd probably be different to the, the are you talking about the, when Amy goes through the, you're talking about the corridors yeah well I'm sure they'll be lit differently that right now I think they, they, for this episode they were lit very dark and ominous and uh, just like the rest of the TARDIS was when it was taken over by the house so I, I think if we see those corridors again it probably lit in a way that it's more um, friendly yeah, I, I suppose what you're saying is whether whether it was the house that actually created the new those oh. corridors to trap them, or whether they were just corridors. Yeah. That well, they found, I, since they seem to be familiar with them, them, I'm assuming that they, that's the way they look. All the, you know, they didn't seem to be like like what are these corridors? They weren't here before. That's what my guess yeah, is. That's what I thought, but there are interpretations of it. But I assume that he'd. Because he, he refers to having looked at the schematics, because uh, House doesn't know about the second console room, because of course that was coming from um, the the TARDIS yeah. uh, and her archive. Yeah. So overall, how um, how? Also, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, also, one thing when they were running through the corridor. There wasn't many doors office like for rooms and that as far as I could see. I mean uh like entranceways. Seen... Like... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't see any doorways, you're quite right. Yeah. Well the only I... one that like I saw was the one that Amy got went through and then closed and right. Which yeah. led back into the corridor. Well, I, I suppose yes, sliding doors across the corridors, but there weren't apparent doors into yeah, the rooms. Yeah. Also, one thing I noticed about the ooze, like I think he's probably one of the ones that was made into a servant that found his way. What when the doctor was fixing the ball thing? I don't think it was the natural ooze with their brain. Yeah, I don't, I don't, the, the oud was sort of um, well, they were for sale. Remember the planet yeah. of the oud? They were actually selling them servants, weren't yeah. they? So, whether he'd been a servant aboard one of the spaceships that then got stranded there, and he was obviously the reason why he had the green eyes. One assumes is because he was being powered up by House, and that seemed to be controlled yeah. by green light. Because we had the battle at the end of the the golden light from the TARDIS uh, vanquishing the green light that was. Supposedly representing house. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, also I found it interesting when you had house on the outside when you was up near the top, we could see it through the letters, or just above the door, like shining in. Uh, um, you mean that, like that vapor? 
Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I and Tammy could see. Yeah. I realized there's the problem. Yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't too sure at that point whether it was the doctor that had uh, deadlocked the door of the TARDIS when he got his screwdriver out, or whether it was House locking them inside. Yeah. Well, we're, we're made to believe it was the doctor that locked them in to, to you yeah. know, in his view, was to make them safe. But um, yeah. obviously, it turned out to be different. And and again, that, that that's an, another. Th- uh, I, I can kind of you know. It's, it's it's sort of like the sonic screwdriver is getting more and more capabilities, but I I can accept that it's all right. It, it's 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 sort of like a fob keychain thing for the, your car. <laughs> you can lock the doors. I mean, we've seen it before. Any last yeah? Any last things to mention? So we we do have a couple of other calls yeah. to move on to. Yeah. Um. No, I think that's it. All right. Well, and how many Tardis groans out of five would you give it? Um, I think I'd give it four out of five. Okay. All right, very good. Well, thank you once again, Mystery Presenter. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Before we move on, just to quickly remind people that audible.com you can uh, go there and find more audible goodness that you're finding here on our podcast here audible is the leading provider of digital audiobooks they have over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre including science fiction and fantasy what we're talking about right now but also romance business um, and well pretty much you name it they have it and uh, their titles are available for the iPhone, Kindle, Android, over 500 devices uh, for listening anytime, anywhere, just like this podcast. And for you listeners of Dr. U Podshock Audible is offering a free audio book download with a free 14-day trial to check them out. And you can get your free audio book, and it's yours to keep by going to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And once you go there, you can check out their selection. They have uh, a huge selection of Doctor Who titles. And again, you're not limited to that. You can choose anything that they have to offer for your free audiobook and um, check them out. Uh, once again, uh, lastly, it's um, audibletrial.com slash podshock and um, get your free audiobook. Our final caller, I believe, will be Darth Skeptical. Hello, Darth. Welcome back to the show. Hello, sir. Well, you know, I think that this is sort of the exact opposite of the kind of stories that Moffat tends to write. It's really, really short on plot and very long on character. I mean, when you think about it, really all that happens here is that the Doctor comes to a bubble universe, a uh, malevolent and unexplained enemy jacks his ride, and then the Doctor chases down his stolen TARDIS, kicks the intruder out. That's really all of substance that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, that simple plot, though, it allows for some of the very best character beats in the history of the show. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of really, really useful things with some incredibly economic language and tonality. Now, uh, economic language, let's talk about that for a second, because we are talking about one of the premier writers of fantasy in the world. So we do have to take a look at his use of language. And I think there's one 
lot of great scenes, you know, where you get a lot of information really quickly. You just get phrases thrown at you, and when you think about the phrases, they open up to reveal a lot of things of import. But let's just look at one, and that's at the very end, mm, sort of, where um, she says, that, that is, Idris says, um, a big, <laughs> now I'm forgetting it, uh, it's a big, complicated word. Yeah. Alive. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, it's really not a big word, but it is. It's huge. It's five letters, but to be alive is is a huge thing. And I, I don't know, you know, even Moffat, with all of his, you know, writing skill, I'm not sure that he could have found that simplicity. Mm-hmm. Even RTD, I'm not sure. Maybe RTD might have hit upon that that phrase at some point, but I just think it's that's just one example. But I think that there's a lot of lovely little phrases that are thrown in that instantly give you a lot of information, um, and I, I I'm I'm a little bit in awe of it, really. Um, but let's look at some well, other things. But I, I, I agree with you. Oh, sorry. I, I just wanted to say that yeah. I agree with you. I thought that was a nice touch because she hints upon it earlier on in the episode and she doesn't come to the word. And she's like, she's trying to think of something that's complex and this word. And, and so we're left kind of like dangling on what, what that word is. And um, But when it's revealed, I, I think, you know, it all makes sense. You know, it's it's simple yet very complicated and, uh, and sad as well because she, as she explains, because, you know, everything... That it's alive it comes to an end. Life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just really quite deft, really wonderful stuff. And, and since you're talking about that, you know, the, the whole um, out of order way in which she's speaking because she's trying to come to grasp with linear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know that she greets the doctor with goodbye and and you know says farewell with hello. Um, that I thought was really quite lovely and, and, and actually in itself, if you really think about it, it's the very nature of not just being a TARDIS, but being a Time Lord mm-hmm. and explains a lot about his psyche and why he doesn't necessarily relate to us, relate to people in um, the way that we might expect of other television heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just has a different perspective, and I think this this show really gives us the different perspective in in a way that I mean it's sort of a rehash of what Tubby Whithouse does in School Reunion, in a way, you know, and and the explanation that we get there of how the Doctor's life is different to Rose and why Rose can't yeah. have a relationship with him the same way, mm-hmm. but it does it so much more subtly, I think, um, but not necessarily better, but certainly in in a way that demonstrates, it shows more than it tells. And that's that's a great thing for a writer to have. I think, too, you know, a lovely thing about this episode is that it, I think, once and for all, dispenses with the story type that was very common in wilderness years fiction. That is, in New Adventures... Uh, Eighth Doctor Adventures, particularly um, books, that sort of thing, of a TARDIS being personified. You know, 
that old 4A chestnut has come out so many times. If you spent any time on forums, you you hear from time to time, if there's ever a mysterious woman, be it the woman from uh, the end of time, be it Astrid, and I don't yeah. remember her name. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I, I was gonna bring her up again, but I was afraid to bring. Right, uh, right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, you know, everybody. Be there was a lot even, of speculation. Then there was a time that Christina D'Souza was in this category of, oh, she's going to turn out to be the TARDIS. Certainly, one of the theories that's going around right now is that River Song is going to be the TARDIS. But I think that what's great about this episode is that we do this episode to satisfy fans who apparently want to have this kind of story told, but we do it in such a way that it can only happen for 18 minutes or whatever the you know, mm-hmm. length of time yeah. that Idris stays alive. Yeah. And then she's dead. And, and as the doctor explains, you can't eat a TARDIS. You can't have a TARDIS poured into a human body without it killing them. Mm-hmm. So it's one and done with this kind of story. We can move on after a very well-told tale, after getting lots of great information, lots of fun out of this concept, lots of great interaction, and things that help better define the mythology of Doctor Who. But we're not stuck with this character, like in the Eighth Doctor Adventures, where we were stuck with Compassion, who's maybe somebody you've never even heard of before, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, she was hanging around forever and then went into Faction Paradox, and the whole deal with her was that she was the personification of a type, whatever, 102 TARDIS or something like that. But luckily, you know, we do this, we do the fan service, and we're done. So I think that's very clever. Um, and it's, it was also done very well. I, I thought that exactly they, they, it was done well, and I don't think it did. It was even though it might have been done like for the fans in a sense. It wasn't done so that if you're not a fan, you would not be able to enjoy this episode as well. You know, it's it's not alienating in any way. If you if you just coming into Doctor Who with Matt Smith, I think you can enjoy this episode just as much as if you've been watching it for years. I, I absolutely think that you're right there. I mean, Neil Gaiman is is walking a very thin line here, but I think it doesn't look like he's putting any effort into it at all. I mean, it just all happens so organically that you know when things are dropped, like the Eye of Orion. If you don't know what the Eye of Orion is, it doesn't matter yeah. because he, mm-hmm. you know, he gives you enough information that you know that the Eye of Orion is some sort of restful place, and of course the Doctor is not going to like a restful place. So you get enough information in the thing to you know deal with it. Exactly. And like the thing that passed you by, you know, the Hypercube. If you don't even if you've never seen the war games, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It, it makes perfect sense, and it gives us something that we can use in the future. Just like um, the fob watches gave us in series three. You know, when we were first introduced to the fob watch, we thought, okay, it's just this. It's just this one chameleon arch. It's only to do with the doctor. But then in Utopia, when we see another fob watch, we're like, oh my god, yeah. this is going to be something big. Or when we get to the next doctor, there's a fob watch. Oh my god, we're going to get another Time Lord. Well, now we have another similar device, where if we see another Hypercube again, which I'm kind of hoping we do. Um, but by, by the way, I think I do recall it now. It, it, it just sort of like magically appeared on the TARDIS console in, exactly. in Troutons. Yeah, I think it's... I want to say it's episode nine. It might be episode yeah. eight of the War Games, but yeah, it's it's definitely in there. Um, but it's it's um, it's cool that we have another one of these little things that means Time Lord, and you know you can well imagine already 
the pre-title sequence of another episode when all of a sudden here comes the hypercube and you're like, oh, there's the Time Lord again. So I think that's lovely that, you know, we've got something that connects us to the war games, but at the same time doesn't do so so heavily and also is a predictor for something that might happen in the future. So that's quite lovely. Um, I think, too, I was perfectly happy with the way that we got more interior TARDIS space here. Because I think it was done in a way that if you don't like the design, it doesn't matter. Because this was House controlling the TARDIS. This was House putting together on the fly, I think, these corridors in such a way as to confuse Rory and Amy. And mm-hmm. you, you can well imagine that if House is not there... The corridors don't necessarily look like this. They don't have to. Yeah, they yeah, might. Well, they've already, yeah. put, you know, spent the money on building that set, yeah. but they don't but have to. They don't have to, and, and they don't, to. and they don't need to be configured that way too. Just like the last caller, a mystery presenter was saying that I think it was him that it didn't. They weren't doorways to other rooms there, but that could just been house manipulating the corridors that way. Right. And I have to say, I didn't like him that much. I mean, I kind of did. They kind of made some design sense. But the one thing I really, really didn't like about it was automatic doors. The interior of the TARDIS does not have automatic yeah, doors. It not just, in my world. It, it seemed I mean, a the, bit militaristic, you know. Well, and it, it, seemed, it seemed a bit Star Trek Enterprise. It seemed totally Star Trek. That, that or um, that. But the sides of the, the, the corridors reminded me a bit of like like a battle star, if you will. It just seemed like... Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, certainly. The, the shape, certainly yeah, I can get, dig that. But, I mean, to me... The one design element that the interior of the TARDIS must have is that there's no automatic damn doors. There's no wishing <laughs> Uh I mean, seriously, when has that ever happened before? But the maybe boring, maybe that's a house element. Maybe it's not normally I there. I that is a house element. Because to me, I've always likened the interior of the TARDIS to the interior of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, where there are all these infinite doors you, know, that you mm-hmm. go into. Um, which is one of the things I didn't like about JNT era, because that was sort of cookie cutter. But at least it, too... You know, oh, here's the little door. It opens. There's the cricket patch. All right. I can deal with that. Um, but ah, these little doors that, that slide open, that kind of threw me out of it a little bit. Um, but, you know, th- that was that's such a tiny thing. There's so much that's good here. I mean, the, the, um, the glory, I think, uh, of the episode is how many things it makes sense of. For instance, um, here you have the Valley of the Dead Tardises, right? Mm-hmm. They all have working chameleon or had working chameleon circuits, and yet all of the stuff that's there is ordinary household objects, really. Which I think fundamentally explains the Matt Smith Tardis. I mean, one of the things that I like the Matt Smith Tardis console, but. One of the things that's always sort of niggled in the back of my mind is, why does it look so ordinary? I mean, why are there taps on it? Why is there a pinball machine? I love all that stuff, but why is it like that? And I think that what this explains is that a working chameleon circuit changes the interior of the TARDIS as well as the exterior. And I, and I think it really explains why the Matt Smith TARDIS is the way that it is. Um, and you know, taken in concert with the line that we got um, in that in those meanwhile and TARDIS things that were on the season five box set, 
you know, where the doctor mm-hmm. says the community circuit actually does work. It just calculates the precise thing that it should be, and then in one nanosecond gives me an appropriate exterior, and then it changes it back to a police box. And I think that's great because you can imagine now that um, because we know the TARDIS is, you know, the dimensions of the the TARDIS's sentience, we can quite easily say now that the chameleon circuit absolutely works. It just works in the way that the TARDIS wants it to work, which I think is a lovely concept. And it helps to inform lots of things. It helps to inform Attack of the Cybermen. It helps to inform a little um, audio story called The Deep in which Nyssa appears to um, repair the chameleon circuit, but it turns instead into a whale. Um, Lots of things like that. and it also explains, you know, the very first episode, or well, the second episode of Doctor Who. You know, why does it suddenly stay in the form of a police box? Well, I think we can imagine that the reason might be is because now the TARDIS is traveling with people who are from 1963 London, and that's an appropriate thing that they will always recognize as the TARDIS. And so the TARDIS is imposing this thing in order to be a familiar object, maybe. And after a while, that just becomes a thing that it wants to do. Um, I think the thing about the, you know, push to open, I've loved that. Because, you know, while you might point out that the little sign is actually on the you, telephone you mean pull, pull to open, just... Pull to open, my mm-hmm. pauses, yes, the pull to open thing. Um, while we might imagine that's really just talking about the, you know, telephone cubbyhole, it is actually talking about the the way that real police boxes are supposed to work. One of the complaints, if you if you look into um, websites having to deal with people who make replica police boxes mm-hmm. and they actually study the history sure. of actual police boxes, is that it's not supposed to be that the doors go inward. They're supposed to go outward. Um, so that was lovely. And it also helps to explain moments that people have bitched about before, like in the 11th Hour or the Ice Warriors, where the TARDIS is on its side, but the doors are flipped outward. Mm-hmm. Um, we, he- we have here an explanation that the Doctor wants to make the doors go whatever direction he damn well wants them to go. And so with that simple little statement, we're done talking about how doors should open on the TARDIS. Yeah. I mean, it, which I think is great. It's fine. I don't, I don't didn't really have a problem with that. I was just kind of just going off with it, but I mean, it's, I never had a problem with maybe because no. I'm in the U S I, I, I'm not really familiar with how they should be or shouldn't be. So I never had an issue with how the doors opened. Right. And I think that that's, that's what's great. Like you said about this episode is if you don't know things, you know, no doctor to that well, I mean, I'm not trying to imply that you don't know Doctor Who. I'm just saying, if you don't, if you don't know a particular aspect of the script and what Gaiman is trying to reference, it doesn't matter, really, um, because it's still funny on some level, or it still makes sense at at a particular level. And the oh, more you know about what he's trying to get to, I think the more that you you kind of get out of it, which is, you know, it's this lovely, as you put it, sort of a, a, an onion skin approach to writing the episode. That, that helps out people of all different uh, knowledge levels. Um, I, I think, too, you know, uh, one of the other things that I love about the episode is that we get 
you know, it's not just that Idris is female, and so therefore when the TARDIS goes into her body, the TARDIS for that moment appears to be female. It is that the TARDIS actually is female, because when you, we go to the Valley of the Lost Tardises, you know, her reaction is, I've lost all my sisters, or this is where all my dead sisters are. So I think finally we can actually literally call the TARDIS she with, without coming across as sexist. It is a she. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, she, she she could just have been saying that because she she was a she at that point, and um and and it goes back to this whole I don't know. Um, I, I still don't understand what how you know you know I never do it myself. Really refer to uh, vehicles in a gender form, but it goes back to the seafaring people on Earth hmm. calling their ships you know she and all that and. Yeah, but why would she? But but, but, but why would a, other TARDISes? unless TARDISes mate with each other? I don't really think they would be she's or he's. I mean, they could take a persona of a she or a he, but I don't know. You know, I can't. You know, I guess. You're, I mean, you're I, thinking of more of a sat nav, aren't you? Where you can have a male voice or a female voice. Where now I air I, I more towards Darth's interpretation of it, but it's. I don't think it's nailed down, Darth. But it, I think no. it, it is. Um, well, a big indicator of that, and I, and I would take it. I, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not nailed down, but to me it seems pretty clear, you know, why would she, why would she use gender-specific terms? And not only that, but I mean, I guess we could say, you know, that whole business about, oh, you know, send a telepathic message to the pretty one, and she thinks Rory's the pretty one. I, mean, I guess we could get into all sorts of you know gender assignment roles and all that, but I think the common sense reading of that is she's a girl, so the pretty one is the guy. Mm. I don't know. But at any rate, it at least does address the issue of why the doctor refers to the TARDIS as a she fairly consistently throughout you know the entire history of Doctor Who. So I, I kind of dug that. Um but there's, you know, just uh, a lot of different references that are layered throughout that have to do with old episodes. You know, there's the, the certainly the Eye of Orion thing, certainly the, the leading of rooms. Um, and, and one thing that I was particularly excited about, and this, I guess, is where I'll stop. Well, one other thing. Uh, but one other little reference that I thought was really cool is this is the first time that... A, an episode of BBC Wales Doctor Who has referenced an idea that comes from an American comic book. Um, granted, written by Tony Lee, who's a Brit, but still, the idea of there being TARDIS consoles saved to be brought up as necessary later is something that comes directly from Tesseract, which is a, a story from 2010, early 2010. Um, in the IDW Doctor Who range with the Tenth Doctor, and he goes through and you know he finds the, the uh, Peter Davison console in the TARDIS um, and another one too, I think. Um, so I think it's it's kind of cool that you know from a comic writer like Neil Gaiman, we get a reference to something that is relatively current in Doctor Who comics. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, 
I guess uh, narratively that's about where I'm at. But uh, a little shout out to the behind the scenes team. Uh, you know, we had here the return of Owen McPolin, Owen McPolin, who's the cinematographer and hasn't been around since the 11th hour, which is just a beautifully lit episode. Um, and here, I think he gets even more opportunity to show off his skills as the director of photography because it's so dependent upon changing the lighting within the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, and we just see some really magnificent things going on with with lighting in this episode. Uh, and really, I mean, a lot of the, almost everything is, ge- the fear of the episode is generated by the lighting and really nothing else. Yeah, about, because that's, for the, yeah. I mean, the voice, of, and that's it, you know, that's the entity of, of the house is really the voice and, and, and the lighting, really, you know. Mm. Um, and I, I, I guess I'll finish by asking you a question, Lewis, because you might know the answer to this. I, I asked it uh, earlier, another cast, but, um, yeah, this is, this episode credits Russell T. Davies as the creator of the Ood. And I was just wondering if you knew whether he actually has a percentage ownership of the Ood in the same way that Terry Nation does of the Daleks. Because uh, it's really, I mean, it's unusual. I, I never thought I'd see any new series writer of any stripe being credited for the creation of a character because I just assumed the BBC was smarter than that now and that they had somehow, you know, when you write an episode now, for a, it becomes entirely the property of the BBC. Yeah, I um, I don't know if that's the case or not. I, it could be very well be that it was a creative decision to give some recognition to JNT's creation of the Ood. Um, you know, uh, for that matter, if they're going to do that, you know, um, Sidney Newman should be in the end credits somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, something to think about. Anyway, yeah, great episode, five out of five. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you once again, Darth. It's always a delight to have you on board and getting your take on things. Thank you very much, sir. All right, well, cheers. I think I just cut him off accidentally. All right. Well, I think that's, uh, well, I'm going to give you, I think, Dave, you gave it four. What was it? Well, it's one of those stories that started off a four, and it crept up to a four and a half. Actually, for it me, got better it, as it went on, I thought. It, for me, it was the same way. I, it's, I'm giving it a four and a half out of five Tartar groans. The reason why maybe not five, and this is going to sound, I don't know, I don't know, whatever, daft on my part, was just, I mean, the story, great story, uh, good acting. It just seemed like it was just missing, and I can't say what. It's like when you're eating something and, and it tastes great, but it just seems like, I don't know, one ingredient is missing. or And I really can't say, oh, well, if only they did this or if only they did that. It's not that. It was just, I don't know, maybe if it was just... I, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just me, or maybe I'll um, as I, I'll I, I again. I think I I enjoyed it probably slightly better on the, on the second time around than the first, but but I still enjoyed it. It's still four and a half out of five is still very good, and um, I, I guess that's yeah, where, um, where I'm at. We're getting ratings coming in on the text. Uh, Zibipot sixty nine five out five out of five. Sonic screwdriver. Uh, five out of five. Guest ten. Five out of five. Enterprise who? Five out of five. Sonic Sam. Uh, <laughs> three and three quarters out of five. Seventh Doctor. Uh, four and three quarters out of five. Uh, and I think that's all the ones I've caught in text for you. 
Well, we also, I should make a note, and I failed to make a mention of it now in our last episode, but on our website, podshock.net, you can vote on, each time a new episode comes out, we have a poll, and you can vote on it. And right now, 64% are giving it 5 out of 5, and 36% are giving it uh, 4 out of 5. And no, zero percent on all the other ones. So no one gave it a zero. No one gave it a one or two or three. So definitely, this is one of the higher rated uh, stories. And um, just to kind of go back to our previous episode, Curse of the Black Spot, uh, no one gave that one five out of five. Thirty-six uh, percent give it four. Fifty-seven percent gave it um, three. So and uh, right. so and just to show how many people got in the room. Uh, guess 56, <laughs> 5 out of 5, Cybob 5, uh, and uh, guess 49, 5 out of 5. And guess 10 says, uh, if some people are giving it a 4, I think he means what do you have to do to get a 5? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, again, I really enjoyed it, so um, it's definitely a, a, a great episode. And I, I think Neil Gaiman was a, a why you know, I wasn't, to be honest, um, I, I'm not that familiar before this with, I mean, I knew of Neil Gaiman. I'm just not familiar with his work. So, I am, you know, my expectations were just uh, kind of neutral, except for the point that everyone else was so, you know, obviously he, he he's a notable author and well-liked. And um, so there was a lot of anticipation on, on what this was going to be like. But I, I think he didn't let you down. And if you do ha- and happen to catch The Confidential, he sort of reads his script in parts of it and he does it very well i wouldn't mind him if there's a um an audiobook of this at some point it would be great to have him reading it because um he he reads the story wonderfully if you if catch doctor who confidential for this episode it's called bigger on the inside he he's a, a guest in that you know excellent and he did just mention that one scene that wasn't film that had to be cut that where they yeah. were in the the uh, the, mm-hmm. the gra- not the graveyard the the scrapyard and they can't see Tardises because they've still got the chameleon. They've got the chameleon. I, I meant to mention mention that when Darth yeah. was talking about it earlier. Then, but he went off. You know, the discussion yeah. led elsewhere, and I didn't want to bring it back to that. But yeah, there was a a cut scene that. Uh, well, I don't I don't think that was actually shot, but it was a scene that he had yeah. written where they were the chameleon circuits were engaged, and that's why you didn't you know wasn't evident you know by looking that they were Tardises there. Which is kind of cool, and there was also he speaks of another, and these are available on the BBC website on in the Doctor Who official website on the BBC, uh, where th- there's videos of him talking about the, these cut scenes, and there's another one that uh, again they didn't shot, but the, the, that white psychic box was supposed to appear at a, a crucial point of another adventure that, that this episode was supposed to start in the middle of, and I think probably they they just changed that because of course because that. It was um, some sort of rain um, rain people. They were being uh, chased by and cornered, and this white box sort of gets them out of it. And um, they they would have to have hire people for that and shoot it elsewhere, or whatever. So I think it was just a cost cutting thing and time saving thing that they didn't shoot that. Yeah, uh, and guest fifty eight has put uh, their score in another about five out of four out of five for him. And one very last thing, if. If you are, can in the UK and see the videos on the BBC site, if you go to this page, uh, bbc.co.uk forward slash programs forward slash uh, B 
V as in boy. Double eight uh, four nine. If you click below on four, the four D, fourth dimension, four D. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, yeah. You, you said nine. B one double one double eight four D. If you click on the fourth dimension link under the clip, there's some text there, and if you check the text very carefully, there's a clue to an Easter egg video that you can find. Oh. Assuming that that video will play where you are. All right. So once again, it's uh, bbc.co.uk slash programs. Uh, that's programs with a M E S at the end, the, Eng- yeah. I- the English way, and um, slash B as in boy zero one one eight eight four D as in Donald, or yeah. or Dave A C Cooper in this case. And you click on the fourth dimension link underneath. Read the text very carefully, and it will lead you to a hidden Easter egg. Cool. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap things up. Uh, I do want to make another reminder about next week. We're having a uh, meet-up and party on Second Live on Saturday, and then once again we're recording another live show reviewing the the Rebel Flesh, and Dave has put together a quick um, preview of the Rebel Flesh, which we'll, we'll play right now. The Flesh. It's fully programmable matter. It acts like life, but it still needs to be controlled by us. They can't remain stable without us plumbed into them. Trust me, I'm the doctor. So we'll be back next Sunday, at, uh, or, or this coming Sunday, as you're listening to this, for our next live show and reviewing the Rebel Flash. And that's uh, same time, 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Um, adjust your time accordingly. Anything else, Dave? Dave, I should also um, make a mention that you can listen to uh, these episodes being reviewed on the Cultum Collective, which is also on TalkShoe. And Dave, can you uh, give our listeners yep. the TalkShoe ID number? Yeah, TalkShoe ID 54821. We go out two hours earlier on the Sunday, also available on iTunes, and we will be doing a, a commentary that will be up uh, midweek as well. So check that out, the Cultum Collective, which she does with um, Ian, Ian Bissett, the, a.k.a. Six. the Sixth Doctor. That's right. Thank you. All right, so until next time, thank you once again, Dave, and thank you for all those callers and all our listeners. And um, until then, cheers, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan-run Gallifreyembassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by Pachak supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for iOS devices, now available in the iTunes App Store. I'm getting rid of those, they never stop.
and somebody's knocking. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. A box? Doctor, what is it? I've got mail.